Welcome back to A Fine Time for Healing, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. Today we have with us Peter Canova, who is a spiritual philosopher, linguist, historian, and author of the award-winning First Souls Trilogy Spiritual Fiction Series, um, which approaches the multiverse theory through the twin lenses of quantum physics and ancient spiritual wisdom. That is, oh, okay, so he approaches that topic in his latest nonfiction book, Quantum Spirituality. Um, Peter is a highly successful multilingual international businessman who, after a series of life-changing spiritual experiences, began studying and writing on spirituality and consciousness. Um, in addition to the author of 25 award-winning First Souls trilogy, um, he has also contributed to the popular Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and he lives in Florida and Southern California. Welcome, Peter. It's so great to have you. Hi, Randy. Nice to be with you. Hi. So <clears throat> I have your book, Quantum Spirituality, for everybody to see. Um, and as I was reading the book, I couldn't help but wonder where all this information came from. And, you know, to my listeners, we're going to get into this in some depth. But Peter has such a wide range of knowledge that it just impressed me so much. So, Peter, where, where did all this knowledge come from? Well, it started when I was in my early 20s. Um, I found out that I was a very accurate medical intuitive. And when I kind of got over the disbelief of, about that, it opened up a floodgate of communications, of phenomena, uh, clairvoyance, clairaudience, remote viewing, premonitions, uh, all kinds of things that made me realize that there was another level of reality out there, or many, perhaps many levels of reality out there, and that I, I was getting information from that side. Uh, in fact, you mentioned the First Souls Trilogy. The first book of the First Souls Trilogy, Pope Annalisa, they wrote an article uh, in Own Times Magazine about all the geopolitical predictions that came true in Pope Annalisa, quite a few of them. And actually, even today, with the situation uh, developing in the Middle East, uh, it's it's coming around again. All these things were covered in, in that book. So, you know, to, to some extent, the information was channeled information, okay. uh, back to a large extent. But, you know, I, being a Capricorn, I wasn't satisfied just to have these experiences. I wanted to understand the nuts and bolts behind it. So I started studying ancient spiritual texts, ancient spiritual wisdom, and eventually that led me to quantum physics. And the nexus there is that both the uh, ancient wisdom and quantum physics, when you really kind of pare it right down to the, to the core, they deal with things like light, matter, and energy. And that's really kind of what reality is all about. Okay, I've learned so much as um, I have read through your book. It, you know, it's it's so fascinating um, when you begin to break down what reality really is and how it our reality and where we are today has come about. So, um, first of all, in the beginning of your book, you say that approximately 99% of atoms are energy, light and space and only 1% is actual matter. So our seemingly solid world is made up of particles in motion. You know, I've heard this before. It's very hard for us to grasp that. Why is it so hard for us to grasp that? Well, the reason why it's hard to grasp is because the quantum world that makes up our reality, that makes us what we are as physical beings and allows us to experience what we perceive as a three-dimensional world is completely counterintuitive to what we actually experience ourselves in the macrocosmic world. They almost seem to be two different things, and yet how can they be? It's a paradox. Um, now, we know from quantum physics that uh, there is no such thing as particles, really. At the, at the very fundamental levels of reality, matter doesn't exist. Particles don't exist. What there is is an energy field. 
an energy wave. It's called the quantum field or the quantum wave. And basically, it is a sea of possibilities, a sea of virtual particles, of virtual possibilities, which under certain conditions kind of collapse to form the physical reality that we know. So think of a think of a block of cheese, okay, like Swiss cheese, and it's smooth, but every so often you have these holes in the Swiss cheese, okay? Well, we're kind of like those holes in the Swiss cheese. We're like these cul-de-sacs that collapse out of that energy wave into little pockets of, um, you know, certain types of reality, which we experience as physical reality. So, you know, that's very counterintuitive when you, when you tell people, but everybody's familiar with Einstein's E equals MC squared. So what E equals MC squared is saying is that matter and energy are interchangeable, that matter arises from energy and it resolves back into energy. That, that's the basis of the atomic bomb. You know, Oppenheimer was a very popular movie lately. Well, the whole basis for the atom bomb was essentially breaking matter apart again to release the energy that formed it. And it, it, it's it's tremendous amount of energy. Uh, so, you know, I know this is hard and it's abstract for people to understand, but it's the absolute truth. And we're going to go into, you know, why, uh, why we have all the illusions that we have, where all of this came from. Um, so, and you also say individuality, and we're going to talk about what individuality is versus the collective, um, is really reduced energetic frequencies of limited consciousness and awareness, creating a sense of, a sense of separation from the whole. Everything we experience, the good, the bad, the sublime, the profane, triumphs and tragedies, all stem from this flowing down of the eternal into lower illusory dimensions of mind and matter. Um, that's a big statement. Can you break it down for us? Well, um, in both the quantum world and in uh, the the ancient spiritual traditions, such as the Gnostic tradition, which which just actually really described the quantum world two and three thousand years ago. The the, the, the the Gnostic text really literally reads like a uh, primer to quantum physics. It describes almost all the um, major uh, theories of creation, the Big Bang, the God particle, um, parallel universes, and so forth. And uh, in each case, uh, it talks about a limitation or a stepping down. So uh, maybe the best example is this. In the Gnostic text, it speaks of the supreme consciousness. That you, and you can call it God, you can call it the one, call it anything you want. It's all the same thing. It's the intelligent source that literally permeated and created everything that we know, everything that exists. And that source essentially dispersed itself into smaller points of consciousness. And uh, there, there are reasons uh, for that, uh, which if we, we can get into later on, but let's just say for now, it dispersed itself into smaller points of consciousness. Well, in order for those smaller points of consciousness to exist as individual entities, there had to be a limitation from the overall consciousness of the source itself, because if there was no limitation, there would be no differentiation. There would be no individuality. They would just all be absorbed back into the source itself. So limitation is really a prerequisite for individuality. In the quantum world, you, you sort of have the same phenomenon where um, uh, you know energy sort of steps down and it forms visible matter. Matter is essentially energy vibrating at a lower level or a lower frequency. So both in the quantum world and in the uh, in the spiritual text, you have this idea of limitation, which is limitation is really another way of saying a limitation is a differentiation or frequencies of energy. We have higher and lower frequencies of energy. And those higher and lower frequencies of energy literally in you know their various combinations form all the things that we know as seen and unseen, uh, you know, reality. So limitation, yes, it's connected to individuality. It's also connected to the um, the whole way that an invisible energy can manifest itself in seemingly physical forms. It's done by limitation, a lowering of frequencies. And what was the point, or what was the intention, I should say, of the source breaking into all these? fracturing into all these pieces of matter. 
or not, I mean, energy. Yeah. Of well, well, I mean, when you think about it, if if the if you are something that is everything, you're everything that exists. It's a it's a very static existence. I mean, you exist, but you don't experience. You only can experience through contrasts. You know, if everything was all one, infinite, everything happening all at once, infinity. You, you, you. There would, there would be no differentiation. There would be no experience. You, it would just be a very static existence. So the text essentially say that the one broke itself up in order to sort of almost reflect back on itself. It was a matter, almost a matter of self-exploration. These individual points of consciousness were sort of like mirrors that the one would reflect back on itself and could actually have experience. Mm. So um, you know, experience needs to happen through individuality. And so the source essentially was kind of like, really in a way, it was almost like a divine amnesia. <laughs> it was the way for the source to experience itself throughout different levels of, 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 of being. And that was the reason, I, I think that's probably a pretty good reason that they cited in the uh, ancient spiritual texts. It really is. And it's sort of a brilliant way of doing that. You know, there's, there's so much conflict out there about, you know, who we are, what we are. And some people say we are God. I've never agreed with that. I think we are of God. We are a part, a part of God or a part of source. Um, so, but collectively, yes, but individually, no. Is that correct? Well, I, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, uh, I, the parts are not the whole. Um, and, um, the, some of the parts perhaps are the whole, but the parts are not the whole. Mm -hmm. So we are emanations or projections of God. And so I would liken it to, um, look, let's look at a power grid, an electrical power grid. Okay. An electrical power grid, you have the raw source of energy and then you have relay stations. And the reason the relay stations are there is because that energy has to be stepped down in frequency in order to be usable. So we are kind of like the relay stations along the way. We are part of the creation. We are co-creators in that sense. We were part of the divine orchestra that that uh, you know created the symphony of of existence. But we're not the conductor. Okay, thank you. So, so each of us, and when we when this source sort of spread out or fractured or whatever, uh, sort of reached out for these different experiences. Um, was there a finite level of souls created? Well, I don't really know. I can answer the question of whether there was a finite number of, of number of souls. Uh, you know, I will say that there is a difference between spirit and soul, however. They're not the same. People use them interchangeably. Spirits are those conscious entities that never really left the divine harmony, let's say. They never left the hive. Souls were those that broke away and vectored out uh, into their own experience to accumulate individual you know, experience. So you know, the, the soul mind or the Akashic records really has to do with souls. souls. Souls are spirits in a particular state of experience. But pure spiritual beings are, you know, really kind of, how can I say, if you want to put it in Christian terms, they're still orbiting the throne of God. They're, they're still, you know, in the, within the divine orbit, whereas, you know, the souls have ventured off into other um, lower levels or frequencies of reality or existence. Are we talking about like angels, for instance? Well, you know, different traditions will call them different things. Okay, the first created beings in the Gnostic text were called aeons, A-E-O-N-S, and they mean eternities in Greek. And really what they were, were archetypes in the in the Jungian and the, in the Platonic sense. They were given names like truth, love, justice, mercy, wisdom. So clearly they were aspects of the divine mind, but very high beings that were vibrating in their own dimensions of frequencies and they very much had to, uh, you know, do with the contribution to, you know, the, the creation as we discussed, you know, the conductor in the symphony. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so 
you know, the, the they, they were called eons, but you could also call them, I mean, in, in Christian terminology, you could also call them angels or archangels. I think it's more accurate in terms of their function, though, to think of them as archetypal ideals. They're not really people. They, they are conscious centers of intelligent energy. They are beings. They're not people like you and me. They're not physical bodies like you and me. But they each have sort of a particular vibration. And that vibration, you know, sends out these ideals that we as human beings experience at the deepest levels, like in the Jungian sense of archetypes, you know, um, nurturing, wisdom, love, uh, these these type of things. So I, I think it's probably more accurate to think of them that way, but I have no problem calling them angels or archangels. Okay. All right. Thank you. That, that, that makes sense. You know, I'm just trying to distinguish um the things that are commonly known you know there's us and then there's them they've never incarnated they've never lived uh in, in a human body um so it makes sense that they are um still of the source uh working sort of working for the source or in benefit of the source so right so um you talk about the psychic ego-minded force of fallen souls that actually formed the material world. And in the beginning, you talk a lot about the great Gnostic myth of Sophia, um, which was breaking away from the blind obedience of the collective to form an individual identity. This was a concept. Sophia did not truly exist, did, did she, in, in physical form? Well, um, perhaps not. Um, I, I think uh, Sophia represented the archetype, certainly, of soul uh, falling into uh, lower levels of, uh, of experience. And the Sophia story in the Gnostic text is really deep. And I mean, it, it, it really, what it really is, the description of Sophia's fall is where is contained, you know, the Big Bang, the God particle, the parallel universes. That's what Sophia's story is really describing, the quantum forces that resulted in, in, the, in, in, in the creation. Um, the uh, fallen souls, especially the ones that became sort of the, um, the darker forces, let's say, uh, they were more pictured as these kind of quasi-spiritual beings. They were said to have soul, but not spirit. They were like these sort of artificial forms that were created uh, as a result of the lower vibrational dimensions that, that happened in the wake of Sophia's fall. Um, and honestly, it, you know, it, it's very mysterious, that whole that whole thing. My own personal belief is that they are the results of our own limited psychic awareness that creates this darkness. It's born out of ignorance. And we're ignorant. I mean, what are we ignorant of? We're ignorant of the place of which we came from, of, from which we fell. Right. Um, you know, we can sense it. Um, you know, uh, those among us that, you know, can go back and um, have communications with higher consciousness. You know, we can sense what's going on, but um, we are really ignorant of what happened. So, you know, we're kind of left to our own devices in, in our in our own limited capacity. You know, we have the capacity for good, but because we're also limited, we have the capacity for darkness. And I think that those beings that were spoken of, the archons that were spoken of in the Gnostic text are largely a projection of, um, you know, our own shadow. So I think in the gospel, Gnostic Gospel of Philip, uh, it says that it, it says that uh, men created gods and now gods rule men. Hmm. Do you think that this has something to do with... Um the theory behind the Christian belief that we are all sinners? Well, look, Christianity, to a very large extent, is a bastardized version of Gnosticism. The, the Gnostics were the, were, 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 the Gnostics predated Christianity, but they also were the original Christians because they saw that Jesus was teaching a Gnostic message. And we know that for a fact because uh, it's, it, there were two teachings in, in early Christianity. There was the inner teaching, mystical teaching, and then there was the outer church. 
the we know there was an inner mystical teaching because it says so in all the synoptic gospels of the bible it says that unto the um uh, masses he spoke in parables but unto the disciples he gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven we also have documents uh from early church fathers like the bishops clement and origin that stated that, Je that jesus had a secret teaching that he imparted only to those who were able to understand the elect but the rest of the people sort of went by the parables so the outer church developed into the essentially the church that we know today the orthodox catholic church that we we know today and um it 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 it, it had it was very ignorant of the inner teachings the mystical teachings and as a result it started really becoming a church of dogmas and agendas and control and it missed the whole you know spiritual aspect and christianity let's remember christianity originally was not called christianity they wouldn't know what a Christian was back in the time of Jesus. It was called the way, which indicates that it was a spiritual path, not a religion. Interesting. Interesting. And this um, basically, this fall from grace, this theory of the fall from grace, is this related to the Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden story? Is that sort of where the, the Bible maybe is trying to explain this away? Yeah, 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 it is. But then it then it got, you know, it got involved in all kinds of doctrines like original sin. Okay. Original sin and the whole Christian concept of sin is one of the most limiting ideas that you know has been foisted on us. Because the the big one of the big conflicts that eventually as the mystical inner church and the outer churches started parting ways, as they evolved, they started parting ways. And, and actually very violently, uh, ultimately, the, the Orthodox Church really did a number on the Gnostics. But essentially, the Gnostics said, we don't need priests. You know, we, 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 we are emanations of God, and we have the ability to trace our um, ourselves back closer to the source so that we can commune directly with the source. The church doesn't need to be the intercessor. We're, we're you know, we, we are, um, you know, we're able to do these things ourselves. So the, the, the Gnostics, uh, to the Gnostics, there was no sin. The only sin was our ignorance, our, 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 our ignorance as a result of our, our fallen state, our, our ignorance of not really having the higher awareness. And the, and interestingly enough, the Anglo-Saxon word sin means off the mark. The original meaning of sin wasn't bad stuff, you know, like, you know, like Christian sin. It, it meant to be off the mark, meaning off the mark, meaning, hey, you guys kind of forgot everything that you were supposed to learn. And so that was that was the sin. But uh, but the, the original sin in Christianity is like, OK, you know, uh, we were these separate creations that um, were made out of the dust of the earth and we were placed in this lunatic asylum down here bouncing off the walls <laughs> and along the way you know we ticked god off and now we're forever trying to get back in his good graces that's a horrible uh a, a burden on humanity where the gnostics were saying no we are em we are actually projections or uh, emanations uh, of god and there is no original sin uh you know in that sense and our only task is to remember remember not even learn but remember what we are and where we came from and you know the exalted state so the gnostic uh view was much more exalted they viewed humanity essentially um ultimately if you really look i mean there were all strains of gnosticism but ultimately if you really look at the message of gnosticism we're the fingers of god touching the face of this earth and our task here is to materialize, spiritualize the material and bring the experience of the material back to spirit. So we're like the bridge, essentially, between matter, between matter and, and, and energy or matter and spirit. And that's that's an exalted purpose, you know, uh, rather than, you know, what we've been left traditionally with. Right. It's really powerful when we think about who we really are. <clears throat> um, so the the myth of Sophia, the ego centered being of um, Archon um, and the ego mind, these were all sort of theories that explained or tried to explain our falling away or our separateness from source. They were just kind of theories or myths or, you know, it was just oh, I, I don't systems. Think, I, 
I, I, I don't think they were theories. Well, they, they were told in mythic terms, but I don't think they were myths. They, they, they were they were explanations of a reality. You know, and and I mean, I mean, essentially, what what it said was when human beings, uh, it at first, when soul or spirit entered into physical forms, I believe we had the ability to go in and out of form because we still retained a lot of our divine consciousness. But eventually, souls became limited and trapped within the boundaries of their skin. They started to re identify reality as the boundaries of our skin. Mm. And they started thinking of themselves actually as physical beings rather than souls experiencing, having a physical experience, which is really what we are. They started thinking of themselves as physical beings. So their mindset changed from a divine consciousness into something that had to do with preservation, self-preservation, which is ego. So think of it for a second. Eventually, you know, once you were spiritual beings, but now all of a sudden you find yourself trapped in material form and you got saber-toothed tigers chasing you around. And, you know, you've got a whole uh, physical world out there that you have to cope with. You've got hunger, you've got cold, you've got, you know, danger. Um, you know, and that led to the development of the, the ego mind, which is, you know, me and protect me and enhance me. And, you know, th this is this is sort of where that came from. And this is also very much in line with Jungian psychology. Carl Jung was a Gnostic. I mean, he, 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 in fact, when he first read the Gnostic text, he, he basically said, these people got there before me. And he was shocked at how, how his own experience and his own thinking and his own theories were in alignment with the Gnostics. So, you know, when you say, are they theories? I, I, you know, well, I tend to think not. I, I tend to think they're descriptions of reality. And I tend to think that because not only do the Gnostics say it, but they have an eminent psychologist like Carl Jung saying the same thing. So I believe in multiple multidisciplinary cross-referencing. That's what my, my book, Quantum Spirituality, is all about. It's not about reciting a bunch of spiritual platitudes and expecting people to take them on faith. It's about giving people information different points of information that form an arena of knowledge for them to navigate whatever their spiritual journey is and in that arena it would be quantum physics psychology neuro neurobiology and ancient spiritual text so i you know i like to connect the dots that's what my whole work is about yeah i mean i think you did a really really great job there was um, something that you said about the um archons the ancient archons that archons. just archons. Archons? They pronounce ar archons. Archons. Yeah. Archons. Okay. So there was this description of the archons, and I don't know if you're familiar with what I do, but I'm a narcissistic abuse expert and coach. And when you said um, they are they are pictured as a parasite promoting and feeding off of our fears and misery, um that describes people with narcissistic personality disorder and you know and I, i'm always trying to find a connection as to where these people came from because they are very different than um you know they're they are completely um parasitical and um predatory you know, so I'm just, I'm always trying to find where this happened, you know, because. That's a description of the archon, archons that have been pictured as parasitic and predatory, yeah. essentially substituting a false mind or a false view of reality mm -hmm. from the real spiritual truth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, again, this is our ego minds. Our ego minds are really the stumbling block between our divine mind, attaining our divine, recapturing our divine minds. And the archons, incidentally, is a Greek word. It means rulers. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, what what the, the, they I think they probably call them archons in the ancient text because essentially they ruled the minds of human beings. Now they were pictured as actual forces, uh, you know, uh, in, intelligent forces or you know centers of, of you know kind of darkness. Um, and uh, they kind of bleed through into this dimension. Uh, and it's said that they feed on yeah hum negative human emotions and fear, and their whole purpose is essentially to keep people trapped in physical forms so they can they can exist. It's our ignorance that gives them existence. If all of a sudden all of us experience divine consciousness all at once, the archons would just dissolve; they would disappear. Wow. 
that's big so there they still exist among us they certainly exist as psychic forces psychic forces. you know I, i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say there's somebody up there in the heavens with a pitchfork um you know i mean uh, there there certainly could be you know, centers of uh, of of intelligence or, or essentially beings that are of that um, sh shade of darkness, right. but certainly they have they have psychic manifestations. Okay, so so really that that explains a lot for me. You know, because that is so it is a psychic manifestation that causes these people to act the way that they do, to believe that the way the way that they do. So that is that sort of explains it for me. All, all of us are really it's not just narcissists. All of us are affected um, by this because we all have fears and we all have, uh, you know, ignorant beliefs about reality. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to one degree or another, it affects all of us. Now, in the case of the people you're talking about, it, it would be much more intense, it, it, you know, more, more intense level of this psychic manifestation. But we all have manifestations of this. That's okay. Thank you. Just writing down psychic manifestations because it's another angle. Um, or it's actually a, a clearer angle to um, understanding it. So, okay. So, the primary purpose of each person is to reawaken to the higher consciousness within, uh, within us recognize that material experience is but an illusion or dream of our own making. And how do we do this? So I know that um, this is a perspective that I try to share with the clients that I work with. And some people have it, some people get it, and some people just push it away. It's a, it's a very difficult, um, you know, it, I kind of relate it to almost to control because when we think that we are all there is, we are sort of controlling, or it's a false sense of controlling of how our life is going to go instead of allowing. So um, how do we let go of these illusions of who we truly are? Well, you hit on something relating to the archons. That I mean, the description of the archon was he was ignorant because he thought there was all that was. He said there was nothing before me. I am, I am, I am that I am, and there was nothing before me. Which, incidentally, the Gnostics equated to the Jehovah of the of the Old Testament. Oh, wow. Okay, um, Jehovah of the Old Testament. When you take a look, them exhibited very Gnostic tendencies. But yeah, I don't want to. That that's a whole other story. I don't want to uh, digress from your your question. Um, you know, the, there's no one way that we let go of this. Uh, another way of saying, uh, another way of asking the question on the flip side is, you know, how do we attain higher consciousness? How do we, how do we have experiences with higher consciousness, which is what my book is about. It's about helping to guide people have those, ex to have those experiences, but th there's never one way because everybody's path is, is always different. Um, you know, I mean, the first step is people have to be motivated and, Sometimes it happens spontaneously, like with myself, Carl Jung, other people, you know, we, we have these spontaneous experiences that open up something to, you know, a, a whole reality to us. I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. um, did we bring that in as part of our soul experience? Perhaps. Maybe. I don't really know why that is, but other people have to come to that by other means. You know, sometimes, uh, many times you know, people have to hit the bottom of the barrel, you know, a drug, a drug addict, a drunk, um, a violent criminal, um, somebody that did so you have to hit the bottom of the barrel and, and say, you know, God, there's gotta be a way out of this there. You know, there's gotta be something else out there, you know, besides it. And then they start to question and they start to seek. And when you start to question and you start to seek, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the road is questioning and seeking, but people come to that questioning and seeking by many different avenues. So there's no one prescription for how you do that. But once you have that motivation, uh, there are ways that you can, um, you know, enhance your experience. So, uh, you can read books like mine. You can talk to other people like yourself or other people who are guides that can help uh, awaken them to uh, the fact that, you know, if you really know the way the world operates, 
it doesn't really operate probably the way you think it does. And it could be potentially a lot better, you know, if you have certain understanding. So you can study scripture, you can read, you can take the intellectual route, um, and you can also um uh, you can also contemplate and meditate. So think about this for a second. If we really are projections of the uh, the one source, like in the in the electrical power grid relay station example I gave you, right? You, if there's a transmitter and we're the receivers, we also have the ability to trace back where that transmission is coming from. Hmm. Yeah. Now it takes a little work and it takes a little effort, okay. but uh, that's what meditation is all about. Meditation really is about trying to open up a clear channel back to spirit to reduce the noise that you have in, in telecommunications. It's it's about get, getting rid of that noise and getting a clear channel back and then, you know, getting information. So shamans and the Gnostic masters, well, they were just people that crossed over to the other side and they brought information back that was very helpful in, you know, in, in this reality. And, and, and I mean, essentially, that's what I did when I wrote my books, I brought a lot of information over from the other side. And I brought a lot of information over that helped me and saved my life on, on, on a number of occasions. So I know this stuff is real. It's not, I mean, you know, it's very hard to know how real this is unless you've experienced it. Once you experience it, you own it. Okay. Otherwise, you, for, for a while, at least you have to take it on faith. So it's the difference between someone telling you that fire burns and sticking your hand in the fire. Once you stick your hand in the fire, you own it. You know that experience. Okay. Otherwise, you're taking it on somebody else's say so. So, you know, the whole trick here, you can start off with not with with reading and studying, but that's just knowledge. You have to graduate from knowledge to actual experience. Experiential knowledge is a higher level of knowledge than factual knowledge, book learning knowledge. And that's where you want to be. What I find is that when people take this just leap of faith and just try this out, I find that they're shown signs very quickly that then reinforce it. And so when I'm trying to, um, when my goal is to get somebody to look at this in a different way and they really fight me on it, I said, just try it because you're going to be shown quickly signs. I think we get this feedback almost immediately, not the answers necessarily, but enough to say something's paying attention. Something's there. Something's telling us something. We're connected to something. See, the problem is that with most people is that we, we all have intuitive aspects to ourselves and there's information flowing constantly. The problem is we, we tend to dismiss it in the same instant that it arises because we're trained in this world to be logical and analytical. Mm -hmm. And that logical and analytical mind can sometimes operate as a kill switch. So this is why, you know, you have to get them to get them somehow to get them to turn off that kill switch and teach them how, uh, how intuition, you know, and how feedback works. Okay. So, um, you know, for instance, um, somebody that intensely desires to get themselves an automobile and they can't afford an automobile and they sit there you know meditating on an automobile and they think that someone's going to drive it up to their front door with a bow tie on and deliver <laughs> but you know it, it may come about it may come about in some other way so for instance you know maybe perhaps they land a new job and they have a little bit more money and they can afford a bigger down payment okay I mean, that that is the universe answering to you. Now, they may think, well, you know, that, that's not the way it works, but that is the way it works. Yes. The universe does not answer you the way you want to be answered. It answers the way it thinks it should answer you. And that's what you have to train people. So, you know, don't dismiss your intuition. Don't dismiss the signs. Be, be Look for synchronicities. Look, look for signs and recognize them because miracles don't usually happen with fireworks. They usually happen in small tranches. All right. You are so, so right. How do you feel about the secret and all of this talk about manifestation? Because, you know, I have a problem with it because I think that if people don't fully understand who they are and what their capabilities are, they tend to use this like a magic wand. You know, I'm going to manifest this thing. And then they get very frustrated because 
the things that they're told they can manifest, they cannot necessarily. So how do you feel about that? Well, that's a low level frequency way of going about manifestation. You know, it, it you know what I kind of like in that too? The whole uh, born again Christian thing, uh, you know, uh, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and that's going to solve all your problems, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, that's an expression of many of the things that we're talking about, but it's a lower frequency expression of it because you just can't say those words and sit back and you know your life is going to change it you know the, it takes more it takes more work and it takes more effort than that okay so um, i mean whenever i hear somebody say you know accept the lord jesus christ into your being and your soul and it'll, it'll, it'll change your experience well maybe for some people it does but for most people it 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 it, it, it really doesn't make fundamental changes because it's not the way you go about prayer it's not the way you go about manifesting things you 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 really have to increase your own frequency and your own level of vibration, your own awareness of the uh, of the power that manifests everything. And then, you know, when you to, to the extent that you do that, and then you you can use certain things like you know desire, visualization, um, you know. Uh, keep a, a goal in your mind like some people write a storyboard and they put it in their wall and they meditate on it that's actually not a bad thing um but uh you know there are other steps that have to be taken to increase that frequency your uh, your energetic frequency when you start to reach those higher levels of consciousness then the manifestations actually be, begin become much more clear and they begin to happen but if you're doing if you're manifesting from a mentality of poverty and ignorance it ain't gonna work yes thank you thank you for that put um, the work in. if you want to manifest put some work in too exactly exactly you know in my book close encounters of the worst kind i talk about magical thinking um in as part of the process that people try to go through to heal themselves and and i put that in there because i think um there are people and people have actually expressed this to me um i'm going to pray about it and then jesus will fix this and it's and I say to them, well, that's not necessarily there are things that you need to accomplish here to grow your soul and to and and just there's no shortcut to doing that. If you don't like you're saying, if you don't do put in the effort to connect. Um, but I think there's another step. I think there's another very important step, which is that man the the people that desire to manifest it's very much an ego-centered thing mm. and um when things really start to click is when you start to understand the concept of serving others mm. of doing things for uh, for others the great the greater good so you know once if you really and truly have a heart though, look i mean these all this work i do and the books i write and everything else i don't do it for money in fact it's actually draws me away from my core business i do it because uh it's my expression of wanting to you know wanting to help or wanting to give wanting to do service right. so i think a lot of things work in my life because i have that mentality you know if i just sat around all day just thinking about myself and what i want and me 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 mm -hmm. there's your roadblock right there you're not going to manifest anything that way okay but if, if if you if you think of what you want in the context of how it makes you a better person and how you can better serve people you know or you have other avenues of uh, how you feel you can contribute to the world you know and make it better and not fake it just i mean really really truly and believe it yeah. i feel that opens up a lot of doors because now you're operating off of higher consciousness higher consciousness is holistic okay it's not individualistic it's not about me i want a car i want a boyfriend i want a girlfriend i want you know more money you know i mean sure everybody wants those things but if you think of it you know exclusively from this me 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 want 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 mentality it's more like you know uh, let me think of ways that I can express myself to help make the world better, to do a better hobby, a better job and everything else. And then these other things that you're wishing for, for yourself, they seem to 
follow along in its wake. That's true. That's true. You know, I find that um, the intuition or the um, our ability to tap in to the source, um, it's not always so serious. Sometimes it's humorous. <laughs> and and I say that because so I have I've had this thing where, with what I call my parking fairy. My husband didn't believe me when when I started doing this. Now he uses I, I it. In exactly, a I have the same thing. You I know have exactly. a parking ferry. OK, yeah, yeah I, I get more parking spaces than, you know, statistically should be accounted for. Right. And and you're you're saying uh, there's no spaces. And then somebody pulls out right in front. Right. So to me, that's a little bit of levity that we're being shown that, you know, hey, we have a little bit of a sense of humor about this this can be a little bit fun it doesn't have to be all seriousness so that's that's very interesting that you have a parking ferry as well but it works you know if you believe it if you believe it if you are fully invested in the fact that this is true yeah, um, belief belief is a very important factor in manifesting things mm -hmm. very much so uh what you were talking about just before I mentioned that was, um, well, let me just ask you it this way. So to me, when you begin to tap into this, I think gratitude is a really important way of reinforcing it. What is your feeling on that? Well, um, if you read up to the end of my book, I describe the factors that make for um, more successful meditation, more successful manifest manifestation, and things like we've mentioned a few things here: belief, um, motivation, um, visualization, desire, and gratitude. You know, is definitely one of those things. And uh, you know, there, there. Are, I, I think I probably mentioned almost a dozen, you know, different factors that help us in our exploration of higher consciousness and manifesting results of it. And uh, I'm pretty sure I mentioned gratitude in there uh, as one of them. Yes, uh, gratitude is, is 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 very important. Right. So uh, motivation, desire, and direction, intention, alignment, humility, gratitude, imagination, expectation, letting go, visualization, and be mindful. So that's pretty much how the picture comes together. Yeah. Okay. And we need all of those to bring this picture together. And, you know, we're, we're, we're working, working with those factors really helps us out a lot. Being conscious of those factors and working with those factors helps us out a lot in our road to have contact with higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, and for people who are listening to this and saying, okay, I would like to do this. Um, they're not going to go from here to there in one fell swoop. It's going to be a process a little bit at a time. And, and so because it can feel very overwhelming to say, okay, I want this. Now, I'm going to do these things and there it will be. But that's not necessarily so is it? Depends on 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 the individual person, you know, like I said, the, the whole the path to um, spiritual um, awakening or the, the path to uh, contact with higher consciousness is just different from everybody and everybody works at their own rate of acceleration on this so um you know with some people yeah the path can be shorter i mean look with me this whole thing started very suddenly you know w one day i i discover you know I'm, I'm a medical intuitive and, and all and then all these other things happen to me I mean you know I, I probably could have taken a lot longer to get to that point why it happened for me like that I don't know but other people may you know have to go through a longer period of time to reach those things there's there's no rule to it right I know for, I mean for me the spark was lit 35 years ago when I was bottomed out as far down as I could go and I had to say, look, I don't know how to do this. Help me. Yeah. And it becomes a matter of survival at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and like I said, like I told you earlier, a lot of people have to bottom out like that. 
in order to start clawing their way back up. You know, that, 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 that becomes their motivation. It's like being trapped in a corner and you have no other diversions and you have no other excuses and you have no other options. And you have to say, if I don't have, if I don't reach something higher, I, I'm not going to make it. Exactly. Exactly. We, you know, sometimes we run out of, uh, of, you know, we just cannot solve these problems that we have on our own. And sometimes they're insurmountable, you know, and, and what I love about um, tapping into higher consciousness is that we, and I think you said this earlier, we never know how these things are going to happen. They just happen. And if you would sit there and try to figure out how to make that happen, you never could because these are miracles. And like you said, miracles are, they're small things. They're not necessarily these great big things, but they happen all the time. It's just that we're not used to uh, recognizing them. Or we're trained to think of them in a certain way. But you know, um, th th this when people do bottom out like that, this, this is, uh, a lot of the reason why people become, you know, let's say born again, Christians or fundamentalists. And incidentally, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but what I would say is, and, and, and for some people, it may be a good thing. It may be a life-saving thing, you know, for them to, to take that path. The only downside to that path is that it comes along with a whole lot of other baggage and control and, you know, and, and, you know, you now are part of this closed circle and you got to obey the rules of the circle and that's limiting. So I would really rather see people in that situation look, taking more of a spiritual path. And, and the difference, see, to me, the difference between religion and spirituality is this, you're on a, a life journey. You're on a spiritual path. It's like a road and you're traveling this road and you pass these way stations Okay, the, the the church or religion will say, come in here, we've got answers for you, but you got to stay within our box. Okay. The the spiritual way station will say, All right, come on in here, we've got some things to tell you, but then you know, you leave and you go on to the next way station. So religion is a closed experience, whereas spirituality is an open experience. Okay. Where spirituality understands that this is a journey, not a, a bus stop. That's the difference between spirituality and, you know, religion. But look, I would certainly rather see somebody in the religious box than blowing their brains out. Right. Exactly. Overdosing on drugs. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I see it this way. Um, so, you know, it takes courage to do it the way that you're suggesting we should do it and the way I believe we should do it as well, because this is how I do it. I'm just a big picture person. I just think there's more and more and more. That's just who I am. I don't want to be boxed in. But, you know, I notice some people cling to um, religion because they have fears and they want everything defined for them. And for them, that's a comfort, you know, and I guess not all of us are going to be going to have this, this infinite courage where we just say, okay, show me. Um, because that can be scary for many people. Yes. Yeah, I, I think you got a good point there. I mean, a lot of that, um, when I said there's a lot of baggage that comes with the religious experience, you know, being fear-based, you know, is a lot of it. And then you have to buy into the whole original sin thing. And, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get a lot of, you know, sort of fear-based type of beliefs there. So there's a price to pay for seeking shelter in you know in religion um right. and uh you're right i mean it it's more of you're on your own and you've got to do your own seeking when you take the spiritual path mm -hmm. and yeah i mean that that you know only certain type of people i guess would be able to do that other people would be too you know fearful to do it and incidentally in religion you're told that if you do that you're you're going the way of the devil right <laughs> You know, so that that right there, when you you know, when you you know, I mean, I've I've had friends of mine who I, I really love dearly, uh, and they're fundamentalists, and they say we're really worried about your soul, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, 
And, you know, because uh, the, the way to kingdom is through the eye of a needle and, you know, Jesus is the only way. Well, look, I'm, 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 a, I'm a believer in Jesus, not the way they view Jesus. Right. I have my own view of Jesus. But and I, I also consider myself a Christian, but not not a Christian in any sense that they would understand. I consider myself more of a Christian in the original sense of the mystical church, you know, uh, like not, uh, a, a Gnostic, Gnostic view. So, you know, but I do consider myself, you know, a, a Christian. I just don't go around using that term because of the connotations. It's been, you know, co-opted or preempted by a certain type of idea that I'm not really affiliated with. So that's why I don't call myself, uh, run around calling myself a Christian, but I, I, I am. Right. Yeah, you know, and this moment that I had 35 years ago, because I was raised in a Jewish family where religion was so important. I never got it. I just didn't get it. It didn't speak to me. Um, and at this moment, I said, okay, so what was that all about? Because it's bringing me nothing. It's not bringing me the peace and the future that I'm hoping for. And I had that, I've, I always had that sense that that just wasn't for me, you know? So um, that's when I just said, you know, expand, expand, expand. It's been years, 35 years of, of doing this and learning and growing and tapping in and trying things, you know? So- well, the, uh, the interesting thing is that um, Gnost the Gnostics and the Jewish Kabbalists and the Islamic Sufis are pretty much the same thing. Mm. You know, they, they are the mystical core of their religions and they, they have they, they have way more in common with each other than they have with their outer religions. Gnosticism has a lot more to do with Judaism than it does with Christianity, with Kabbalah, than it does with Christi out, outward Christianity. And the Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic mysticism has much more to do with Gnosticism than it does with Orthodox uh, Judaism. So, you know, uh, I always say that... Um, prophets speak the heart of god their followers start religions mm. and what you know there always is a at least in the early days a mystical core to each of these religions and those mystical cores are very very similar almost identical so you know when i say when i say i relate to the gnostics what that means is a lineage of the jewish kabbalah of the islamic sufis of the Gnostic pagans, you know, and the Gnostic Christians, um, you know, all the, the the Gnosticism and the mystical part of it in, incorporated and was a, a, an outgrowth of, of all those things. So, you know, th this is where it becomes universal. These mystical um, beliefs are really much more universal. Religions divide, mystical beliefs unite. Mm. Very true, very true. And I never got that mystical aspect of it. I just got dogma. Yeah, well, we all pretty much all, it, it pretty, if any of us that attended mainstream religions pretty much got dogma. Yeah, it's just dogma. It's like you do it. I know I would ask questions of my mother who was supposedly very, you know, pious. And I'd ask her questions and she never knew. Why is this? Who is that? Why are we doing this? Because you're supposed to. That was the answer I always got. And I'm not a because you're supposed to person. You don't say that to me. <laughs> That that causes rebellion in me when you say because you're supposed to. Um, who were the Essenes, or is it the Essenes, the Essenes. or the Essenes? Essenes. Essenes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the Essenes were a Jewish sect uh, back at the time of Jesus. You know, you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, um, you know, you had the uh, Essenes. And the Essenes were a, the, the, okay, what they call Essenes, you have to be a little bit careful because there was a wide variety that came under the umbrella of the term Essenes. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls are associated with a certain Essenic community out of Qumran. But these guys were like heavy duty ascetics. Uh, you mean just, you know, you would probably not want to have been part of their circle. Uh, there were other groups of Essenes like the ones in Mount Carmel that, most probably influenced Jesus and his family. Uh, and they were, um, they were, you know, believed in marriage and um, they, uh, they had a essentially a, a mystical outlook or a mystical tradition, which would have been, um, you know, er early forms of everything we're talking about, the Kabbalah and, and Gnosticism and everything else. So the Essenes were a mystical sect 
that were, um, generally speaking, not really looked well upon by the temple, by the Orthodox, um, you know, uh, by Orthodox Judaism and the priesthood. Um, they weren't real wild about the priesthood. Uh, so, um, yeah, they were, but, but they were essentially were a, um, a religious or spiritual sect of Jews. Okay. But do you think Jesus was an ascended master? Do you think that Jesus was um, of the same energy or these, the same, I don't, I don't have the words for it, you know, so we broke away into these particles. Do you think Jesus was one of those particles? Do you think Jesus had, was something well, different? Well, you know, well, you know, Christianity, Christianity says that Jesus is the son of God. And in a sense that is correct. We, I mean, we are all sons and daughters of God. Right. I mean, but, but I mean, I do think that people like Jesus occupied a, 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 special status um you know as a very high spiritual being um possibly very very possibly you know a, a, a kind of the sort of an avatar or a direct you know representation mm -hmm. of a divine force that was trying to enlighten the world I and mean, he was certainly um i mean i i don't know uh, i want to get into labels of him as an ascended master or this or that but very certainly he was a high spiritual being um you know so were other people like buddha and so forth right. um you know and and you know i don't want to get into the degrees of who was more enlightened or anything i'm just grateful for the fact that people like that appear you know in history to redirect ourselves um in in the bhagavad gita the great hindu uh, epic um, Vishnu says that, you know, I incarnate from time to time when things are getting bad to set virtue back on its throne, to set righteousness back on its throne. So we do have these high spiritual beings that seem to incarnate uh, every so often when humanity's losing its way to kind of redirect them toward the light. Hmm. Very interesting. And um, so... Okay, so explain to people, just sort of to sum all this up, um, why spirituality or, or being spiritual is not woo-woo, it is science. Would you call well, it science? Uh, I, I, I think that spirituality is a description of reality that is the flip side of the coin of science, which is a description of reality. They're both descriptions of reality okay. coming at it from different angles. Spirituality comes at it from a subjective angle, from an intuitive angle. Science comes at, at it from an objective or analytical angle. Uh, I believe they're both saying the same thing. That's why I call them flip sides of a coin. Okay. So, you know, that's why I wrote my book the way I wrote it when I called it, you know, quantum spirituality. It, it, it's using both quantum science and spirituality to point to the same things, the same indicators about how reality works and how we can raise our frequency and have experiences with higher consciousness that, you know, can help our lives. So, you know, and, and the, the, the reason, the reason that I think I say right at the beginning of the book, do you want to live in the basement? Or do you want to live in the penthouse of life? Okay. If you live in the basement, you're not going to, know too much and life is pretty much going to lead you around by the nose but if you're up in the penthouse and you see the panorama of life and, and reality and how it exists you're much more clued in and and to that extent you will have much more control uh over your own life and your own experience in a, in a positive way so i mean that's the whole purpose of of writing this book okay thank you thank you so you distinguish quantum science from traditional science, right? Because traditional science, quantum, the quantum science is forever expansive. It, it, there's no limitation on it, right? And our science is just, it's always changing. It's only, it's only true until it's changed. So right. people who want to, you know, stick with this, this traditional kind of science, it's going to end. Well, anyway, um, this has been really a great conversation. I've learned so much from you and I know my listeners have. This is um, Peter Canova's book, quantum spirituality and yeah i just I, I just wanted to mention that um the, please go to my website peterconova.com it's p-e-t-e-r-c-a-n-o-v-a.com um there's a wealth of information there uh, about uh the trilogy about quantum spirituality about a lot of uh, great information and incidentally 
Um, the first, uh, we, the, the, my publisher entered the book in quite a few uh, book competitions. We just had the results of the first book competition, um, which was the uh, American Book Fest uh, Best Book Award. They entered uh, in four categories and it won in all four categories. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. That's big. That's big. I've written like three books, but I've self-published, but I know what a, a um, accomplishment that is. So congratulations. That's big, a big congratulations goes to you. Um, and so I'm sure you have links for your, to buy your book through your website and everything like yes. that, right? Yeah. And the book, the book is available on Amazon. Um, just look up quantum spirituality and, uh, or go, you know, you can go through my website. Well, I hope we sparked um, something in somebody, at least one person today, that, you know, is maybe wants, was sort of on the fence and is ready to take that leap and, you know, and look at this a different way. Um, and that's the purpose. This is why I do these shows, to try to reach people and try to resonate with somebody, give somebody a, you know, a hand up. So anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. It's really been wonderful um, talking with you. And um, I, I love to learn. So this is great. Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You are very welcome. Have a great day. Thank you.